When gone am I, the last of the Jedi will you be. The Force runs strong in your family. Pass on what you have learned. Yoda. He started off as a film student, a storyteller, and went on to launch one of the world's best-known brands and change his industry. The Force is strong with this one. Let's see what we can learn and pass on from the life and career of George Lucas on today's Straight Shot Marketing Podcast. You really want me to talk like Yoda in the beginning? Welcome to Straight Shot. Marketing is everywhere. It's around your life. From what you eat to what you wear and where you go. It is a vital part of any and all business. Let's discuss the world of marketing and business as it influences everyday life with the staff of Atlanta Marketing Agency, Reformation Productions, and guests as they give it to us straight. Get ready. Take aim. Steady. Welcome to Straight Shot. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are helping to celebrate the release of the latest Star Wars film, The Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> Woo! which I am confused by. <laughs> Didn't we already see The Rise of Luke Skywalker? Wasn't that like the first three movies with Luke? I mean, he was in... Oh, and then also the next three movies with Anakin. Oh, but now it's a girl named Rey. It is the Skywalker franchise. It is the Skywalker soap opera the saga. The whole thing is about the ups and downs of Skywalker. Are you excited about the new movie coming out? I'm extremely excited. He's extremely excited. Okay. So, yeah. Well, Zachary, you're a big Star Wars fan, right? Well, I grew up with Star Wars. Yes. So I remember seeing the, the second movie, Empire, in the theater, uh, playing with all the toys in elementary school and reacting to the changing of the name from Revenge of the Jedi to Return of the Jedi. That's the third movie. Because um, it was a big deal at the time. And I've taken my son to every single film that's been in the theater thereafter. So, yeah, I guess. But um, I'm not like some. Others are much more into it than I am. That's right. And that is our segue. We have a guest with us in the studio today. A Star Wars fan and collector. Uh, a UI UX designer that has worked with us for many years. And someone I consider a close personal friend. Welcome, Mr. Frank Scott, to the show. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Are you enjoying the Star Wars day? I am. That's good. So tell me, how long have you been a fan, and what was your first Star Wars experience? So I've been a fan my entire life since I'm a little kid. Um, my dad took me to Empire Strikes Back. It was my first Star Wars. How old were you? Oh, I see. Okay. Two, so. three. Yeah, you would have been. Yeah. You're yeah, younger than I am, so yeah. So, but I, re I remember it, like. Changed your world. It will change everything. It made me who I am today. That's really sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it is the truth. It is everything. It guided me my career. Everything. It, it's made me what I am. Just so people at home understand, Frank is a very successful guy, and he would not be where he is without all that technical uh, experience. So, anyway, so tell me about your collections. What are some of your most prized? Not all of the toys that are on this table are yours. This is an oldie but a goodie because uh, I love me some BB-8. Actually, that's a that's, new, a, that's, that's a newie that's but a newie. goodie. Well, it's from a, a newer <laughs> movie, but it's not as like guy. this one is an oldie. Anyways, so what is the most prized toy that you have? I don't think I can definitely say one prized toy. My entire collection is pretty much everything, like from the comic books to the posters to the the, the ships to I have it all. 
Yes. And how does your wife feel about that? I don't think she feels about it very well. <laughs> she doesn't like it. Like I, I had everything. It's funny because like I had everything showcased, as I like to say, yes. you know, in my, in my in my man cave. A shrine, if you will. Pretty much. Um, and then I started getting embarrassed because people would come to my house and I've got toys everywhere. Because you're a grown man. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 43 years old. Um, you but, don't act a day over 13. <laughs> but my toys were everywhere. So like it got to the point where it's like, okay... Yeah. Time to put them away. As hard as it is to put them away, it's... Because you don't think of them as toys. I mean, they're collectibles. They're my life. <laughs> they're, wow. they're, they're so my... let me get this straight. Kelly's asking you to pack up your life so that it doesn't embarrass anybody. <laughs> you know, it's it's just one of those things. It's 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 what molded me into the creative person that I am and kind of kind of been like a almost like a blueprint of everything I've Absolutely. done in life. You are very creative. So I guess that... And, and the techie side. Right. You know, there's the whole um, he does web design and so forth. So there's the whole tech computer side too, which is very yeah. much sci-fi, if you will. Right. Yeah. So Frank's with us today. Not only is he a Star Wars fan and collector, but he's also in the industry as well. He does UI UX design, which is user interface, user experience. Web- That's a whole other podcast. Right. It's a <laughs> web design and function and build out. And he also was an uh, he went to school for animation and graphic designer. He's like the second world the world's second greatest, second greatest. graphic designer. Below you, of course. And uh, I appreciate you finally saying that. (laughs) On film. It is officially documented on film. Frank takes animations and um, what we're about to talk about very seriously. And and not only does he do it for a living now, but it's obviously the reason why he does what he does. So, But let's go back to the very beginning. How did all of this Star Wars Empire building start? Okay, now in this Straight Shot episode, I want to take two different angles. I think that the these two are going to be most relevant to uh, our audience. So one, of course, is the success of the Star Wars brand, obviously. The second one, however, is the success of George Lucas. Yes. George Lucas was a business owner, just like most of our audience. Um, and what we can learn from his life is kind of what a, today is going to be about George Lucas. We love you, George. Yes. Well, George graduated film school in 1967 and formed an independent film company called American Zoetrope with Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola discovered Lucas at USC. Now, for those of you that may not know who Francis Ford Coppola is. Shame on you. He is (laughs) the director of The Godfather, which, like Star Wars, is one of the best movies of all time. So... I'm going to make you an offer you can't. We haven't made a podcast about that yet. Not yet, but it's coming. Um, I guarantee it. Everything you need to know about life as a man or businessman is in that movie. How to honor your commitments. I will show you. I w- it's coming. Anyway, so. Great. Uh, I've opened that. Lucas, Lucas had won uh, several awards at school, including Best Student Film for a picture called THX 1138- for EB. That's a sexy title. So, super long, yeah. So, Coppola wanted to make that a feature film. So, they made Lucas's first picture, which was called THX 1138, based on his student film, which was 1138 for EB. Yeah, so, but it didn't, it didn't perform well uh, financially. Not financially. No, the studio no. actually wanted their money back. Yeah. So, long story short, the company went broke, and then Lucas started his own company... Lucasfilms Ltd. Limited. Yes, George Lucas, like most of you, 
was a business owner. Yes. Now, just at the time of Zoetrope's failure, something was happening in Hollywood. The old successful studio executives were all retiring, and their successors didn't know as much about filmmaking. So their marketing teams, through consumer research, determined that there was a market for young filmmakers making films for younger audiences. So they decided to back Lucas. At the same time, Coppola challenged him to do a film that wasn't so edgy. So he wrote and directed American Graffiti in 1973. Not as edgy. Not edgy. Not at all. It was based on his own experience in the late 50s and 60s, but it was hugely successful. It was a comedy. And that success gave him the opportunity to create a strategic deal for his next project, an epic space opera called... Star Wars. <laughs> now, <laughs> Lucas was a creative. He was a storyteller. He had passion. He had vision. He had skill. And he believed in the story of Star Wars. And he had passion, again, to reinvent the classic genre that he grew up with on TV. Science fiction. Sci-fi. Science fiction was not the mega genre that it is now. You see it all over the place now with, you know, Captain Marvel and, and all the, the different places, Star Trek, you know, etc. Um, but it existed, but it wasn't the crossover success Commercial that it is, success, is now. Yeah. Now, Star Wars changed that. Star Wars brought sci-fi to the mainstream. Star Wars made, you know, sci-fi geekiness cool, right, Frank? It's everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, most sci-fi films like Planet of the Apes, Death Race, and 2001, A Space Odyssey, were moderate at the box office at best. The majority of sci-fi films made about $10 million. He didn't expect Star Wars to do much more than that because it was the standard. Now, in developing the story, Lucas did his research. He wanted to know, okay, what is it that makes a story work? What do people his consumers, yeah. relate to? What do they want? What can I, as the creator, what can I give them using my skills, my passion, my vision? He studied myth. He studied legend, the story arcs and archetypes that were successful throughout the generations. He studied experts like Joseph Campbell and Homer and others, and, and he found a story that was universal for his audience, moviegoers. Now, there's something to be said about studying those that came before you. That's what we're doing right now is we're going through history and we're pulling lessons from those that came before us, gaining wisdom from previous successes. Absolutely. By the time he was ready to pitch the concept for budgeting, he had a huge 200-page script. For those of you that don't know, scripts are wee. They're really small. So 200 pages 200 was, pages a, was a novel. is a nightmare. And so he decided to trim it into three parts. And the first part was going to be Star Wars. He knew it wasn't going to be cheap to make. So to help him secure the funding, he hired a conceptual expert to help him realize and communicate the story and his vision in all of its glory to the studio executives. Mm -hmm. And his name was Ralph McQuarrie. And he helped Lucas communicate and sell his story to the studio. The visual communication elements helped the studio understand that need for a larger budget in making the film. Two things here. First, he understood that his vision needed to be made realistic. He never lost sight of his goal. He just needed to trim it so that yeah. what he expected of himself at that moment was realistic. So he decided one movie now... Two yes. movies later. 
So keep the goal, but do it in realistic stages. Small chunks. Number two, Lucas recognized that his first audience was the studio executives. Can't sell it to anybody else if you can't sell it to them. Right. He needed to sell his idea through to them. Now, by hiring Mr. McQuarrie, he was able to sell through to the executives the idea of Star Wars so that he could have his dream movie funded. Right. So now that he's negotiated the contract for Star Wars, including the right to make the next two sequels, he kept a big picture in mind while handling all the details. Mm -hmm. And his next task was creating a visual effects company that could do his movie. There weren't any around, and the studio FX departments had been disbanded. So Lucas started buying up equipment from the disbanded departments and founded Industrial Light and Magic. He hired architectural design engineers, model makers, and crews that worked on commercials rather than feature films. They weren't Hollywood people. They were commercial filmmakers, ad agency types, and designers that were used they were used to dealing with smaller budgets and doing things in miniature. Perfect for what he had in mind. They were very creative individuals who dreamed of working on a feature film. They had passion and they were excited about working on a team for Star Wars. Now, one of the ways that you can see their passion is that they cross-trained. They they helped each other out. They were working outside of the standards and norms yes. of Hollywood because they didn't come from Hollywood. So for, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Hollywood has a union system. Yes. And they are very set in who does what task in what way. Mm-hmm. These people did not belong to that union, which gave them freedom to do whatever was yes. necessary to make this great film. So they were able to create new ways to do things, new ways to make a film. And they were able to focus on the content rather than the money or the role that they were supposed to play in the way it was supposed to be. And this changed the world of filmmaking. Now, that wouldn't always be the case. He ran into more union problems in Britain. The first bit of work was plagued with issues. The studio was very questioning of Lucas's casting choices before they even left for shooting. When they started shooting, they were in North Africa, and the shoots were full of issues related to weather. Worst rainfall in 50 years. Sets were trashed and had to be rebuilt. C-3PO, actor Anthony Daniels, was injured by his own costume. Yeah, it was cutting into his foot. Because it was brand new. Yeah, because you, everybody knows you got to work into those shoes. You know, you got you to work it out. The R2-D2 actor, Kenny Baker, was continually left inside his suit when the crew went on break. You mean there's a little guy in there? Like nobody's keeping an eye on poor Kenny Baker who's stuck in the C-3PO suit? That's no, terrible. R2-D2. R2-D2. You see a chicken in the background. Just He's like, beep, 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 whiz, whiz, whatever. Uh, so, see, here he is. He's right up here. There's, is Kenny in here? <laughs> Poor Kenny. Um, props kept malfunctioning all the time. Executives, crews, actors, all were not believing in the script. Casting choices. Lucas fell into a huge depression. Yeah, he. I mean, that's a hard place to start, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, he did not get off on the right foot. No. Um, so, now, Alec Guinness who was the veteran actor. He was the... Uh, the he, um, George Lucas likes to work with unknowns because then the audience doesn't know who, who it is. They have an easier time to believe the character. But he always has one guy that is a, a veteran actor that's that's well-known. 
Um, in the later movies that he he made, he had more than one guy. But uh, Alec Guinness was the veteran actor in this group, the one that people knew. And he actually saved it for uh, the crew and the actors because he believed in the story. So when everybody else is mouthing off behind Lucas's back, you know how people do, mm-hmm. oh, he blah, 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 blah. It was like, no. This, you is, moan, you moan. this is a good story, right? Yeah, he was the anchor that kind of kept everybody from floating away. And things got better once they left North Africa, but there were still crew and cast problems. Some weren't taking it seriously because they thought that it was a kid's movie. The actors thought the dialogue was cumbersome. And it was. Yes. Uh, I remember I remember Leia actually saying more than one time, if I'm not incorrect, yep. talking about how people could write that's the dialogue but people don't they just don't talk that way right it is that is not that is hard to do and it's 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 hard in corporate voiceover work as well sometimes like it's also very hard you know how we do um movie um clips where we 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 say scenes from movies all the time i can't i know the scene that she's talking about that everybody plays in that documentary when she talks about this but i can't quote it because, because it is it's cumbersome not something dialogue. that would normally come out of your mouth right there were, um, there were issues following the rules of the British Union and keeping the shoot on schedule. Yes. Uh, Lucas, again, stepped in to do certain tasks like he was used to with ILM, and he was told it wasn't his job by the crew. So he got reprimanded by his own crew. That's not your... No, wait, wait, no, wait. Get off my no, own it's, set. It's, called to, it's in Britain. It's got to be done like this. That's not your job. It's not your job. That's my job, son. I'm moving on. He was having issues. <laughs> Difficulties completing his vision because of these issues and budget. He grew impatient with the actors, but they did try to cheer him up. With with this type of film, one of the things that you, you have to recognize is that there's more than just actors that you have to pay attention to. Now, with a lot of you know, romantic comedies, whatever, you have the chemistry of boy on screen and girl on screen, and that's it. This had, you know, the the bantha back in the background and and this whole thing is this puppet over here and this is moving there's lots of yes. things to keep their eye so the actors were kind of annoying to him yeah they were distracting they were like can you get this right you know you're, you're not you're not a prop i have to do this is you can control it. so yeah. yeah i mean i would imagine i'm just gonna stick up for the actors for a second here having to work alongside something that you don't see makes it very hard to stay focused and hard to stay um, on track, you know, yeah. because and, and hard to stay enthusiastic because you don't well, really that, know who you're that whole next scene to. where they had to watch the Death Star blow up. It wasn't there. They're like, that was all done in post. <laughs> so they're like, wow, oh, she, you know, heartfelt pain, etc. There's nothing there. And like one's looking that way, one's looking that way. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> the actors would later give uh, George Lucas props for staying the course and keeping true to his vision and keeping things on track. Now, at the studio. So those are problems on set. He also had problems. Of course he did. Back in the office. So uh, Alan Ladd Jr. Not to be confused with Aladdin. Was no, was the, the studio chief at 20th Century Fox. And he was an ally for Lucas. He fought for him he on, was a, the hype man. on a regular basis. Now, nearing the end, when the executive board of the studios was panicking over schedule and had decided to give Lucas an ultimatum, oh. Alan warned him that nice. it was coming. December 1976 was the original release date for Star Wars. That's not going to happen. He wasn't going to make it. Mm-mm. He was over budget and he was over schedule. Now, Alan told Lucas 
that the studio thought it was more important for him to be on time than on budget. Oh, there so it is. So that told him where he time could, is of could the push essence. Things. Yeah. So George split the crew into two units to shoot multiple things at one time, and he bicycled between the sets to try yeah. and wrap up quicker. So eventually, Britain studio shots were completed. And when he got back to the States, he went to ILM, and they had only completed four scenes. Can this guy not catch a break? <laughs> well, that, that yes, he had a very rough time starting out. But, Perseverance is the name you know, of the game. That's, that's one of the issues that comes with being innovative. Uh, they had to create and set up everything before they could start working because it didn't exist, right? So they had robotic moving cameras on blue screens with models. And it, all this was very, very innovative uh, at the time. So they had to like build what they were going to use. Yeah, but there they were. They had four shots. <laughs> and Lucas wasn't happy with any of them. No, and Alan had promised the studio that Lucas was making the greatest movie ever made. Hype man! So uh, that promise, yeah, boy. that promise, is what kept them from pulling the plug or, or firing him because of oh my god, what if he's right? Nobody wants to be the guy that you know pulls the plug on the greatest movie ever made. So that kind of made it where he could yes. keep going well past the limits of a normal person. Yeah, God bless Alan. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, George Lucas is trying really hard to persevere through all of these things. Yes. He needed somebody on his side. And Alan always believed in him, which was really, really nice. And at this time, George began feeling chest pains. And he actually checked himself into the hospital. Yes. He was diagnosed with hypertension and told to de-stress. But he didn't. Instead, he doubled his efforts to help finish the film on time. Yes. Uh, he jumped into his to ensure that all went well at ILM. Uh, Lucas was a very strong production force that came in daily to make decisions and force them out of their laissez-faire attitude. Uh, for those of you that, that don't know, um, creative people can be... Squirrel! Difficult. Um <laughs> They have a tendency to get off track, go down rabbit trails, that sort of thing. And so Lucas was able to come in and really manage their uh, their efforts. And his drive helped them to meet quota. It pushed them both towards perfection and maintaining the schedule. Now, you remember that half of the film was actor-related. Yes. The rest, all, I, all ILM. Yeah, it was all like pretend. Now, once shooting was complete... He didn't take a break, of course. He went right into editing. He came in every weekend, but the first edit he reviewed from his editors was horrible. He felt it didn't capture his vision at all, and when directing the editors, they would argue with him. So he fired them, all of them, and decided to start over <laughs> from scratch. He and his wife, plus he hired two additional editors, to attack the project of editing the film on time. Now, um, Steve Jobs, another successful It always comes man, back to Steve. He had this same philosophy. If you don't believe in the vision of this company, you're fired. Get out! However... Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord's put you! Lucas was also a skilled craftsman. He not only had the vision, but he could also edit the film 
himself. He was a Wozniak-Jobs combo. Yeah, Jobs did not build code or computer boards, but you can still see the the kinship in successful business traits um, here, just the same. So not the film, but a limited promo trailer was released Christmas of 1976. See, something happened in 76. It had no (laughs) or very few special effects and absolutely no score. That's because of ILM. Yes. Uh, A new release date date was set for the summer of 1977, and the editors raced to meet that deadline. Now, Lucas had personally edited together aerial dogfight footage from World War II. Lucas took a bunch of those and made storyboards out of it of the shots for the editors. Now, it showed them the the rhythm, the pacing, and the actual shots for the film. And if you if you look at them, because there's documentaries out there now where you can see his edit and then the actual film side by side. Shot for shot. I yeah. mean, he followed the the whole thing like a full blueprint Yeah, for everything. Yeah, even all the way from turning in the turret, yep. you can literally see it. In, yeah. yeah, all the animatics followed that, and that's what all the people at ILM, too, how they put the effects right. and everything, use all the, the original footage, the archive footage yep. for that. So how easy was that, you think? Back in the day. <laughs> God bless them, right? No, so not only was that cool, but the film, the sound, the film's sound design was organic and well-edited, including the voices. Here's some voicey fun facts. Chewbacca. That was Zachary, by the way. Not a, not a child yawning. <laughs> Chewbacca was made up of several real animal sounds. Frank, do you know which animals they were? Dog, bear. Walrus. Walrus. I think there's also a tiger. Yeah. Lions, yeah. tigers, bears. Oh, my. <laughs> Volvader's breathing, iconic breathing. Who doesn't Who doesn't know the digital little light bright on his chest? <laughs> yeah, that's a scuba mask. That's right. That's it the sound the, designer right. in a scuba mask. Sound designer in a scuba mask. And even the lightsaber, they had a guy hitting a, like a, a metal rod against an electric right. fence. To oh, make really? The, the light sound. Yeah. Even R2-D2 was 50% voice of the sound designer making noises and 50% synthesizer. Now, you would think that a droid, right, a, a, a robot, would be all sound effects. <laughs> but it wasn't. A lot of the, the parts that, that were conversational, I guess, if you will, was the sound designer actually making noises in, the, uh, in his microphone. I like it when, he, uh, when R2 slides across the ship. He's like... <laughs> Sorry, but that's fine. Um, and then regarding the voices, James Earl Jones was hired to re-record all of Dar- Darth Vader's lines, so they had a darker tone. Frank, you know a little bit of fun trivia about David Prowse. Okay, was... so the actor that played the played Darth Vader is David, David Prowse, Prowse, right? And he originally was the voice of it, mm-hmm. and that's why there's been a lot of almost like animosity, like it's because he sounded convinced. like a hamster in real life. Well, because. That was the iconic part of Darth Vader, that voice, and the actor he lost that like that recognition because it wasn't him. So it's like he kind of disconnected himself from like a lot of the conventions they had sure. because he was never given that credit because it was James Earl Jones. Yeah, he was in the movie though, but he was like a, he was almost like a stand-in when it comes down. That's to true it. because well, you can't see his yeah, face. Yeah, but but all of these well, the all end, of these actors and that wasn't James Prowse or David Prowse either. So at the very end, Darth Vader when they take the sorry spoiler, <laughs> um, they take the mask off of Darth. It's not him. Nope, somebody else. That sucks for him. Right, he got kind of <laughs> he got the shaft the whole but way if around. But if you think about it, a lot of what he did um, as the actor. 
he decided how he was going to walk. Decided well, he the carved the path and everything. It, it, all the other, I mean, he was actually doing the dialogue. He yes. wasn't just standing there. So all the other actors were playing off of him. So he should get some He's the props. one that, get, you know what? He should wasn't get some props. David Prouse? Prouse. Prouse. David Prouse, he's the one that came up with this. <laughs> Sorry, but this I is, don't know that he this came is up a sight gag, <laughs> and I'm doing the force choke. I don't know that he came up with that. He may Well, have. I'm saying James Earl Jones didn't do that. No. <laughs> but who gets the credit for being Vader? Like James Earl Jones does. But if you go back and watch like the special features on the DVDs and you hear when they show like the behind the scenes and it's, you hear the actor. It's trippy, right? Well, it's like, yeah, that's what we need to replay. It oh, doesn't have that medicine. Yeah, right. it's not. Well, it, they even said, you know, they replaced him with James Earl Jones because James Earl Jones has an unmistakably full, deep sound. James Earl Jones became worldwide famous for talking in a movie that he wasn't actually in. Correct. You're talking about Mufasa? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, he was the king in uh, in coming Come to America. Coming to America. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Well, what was the? Um, what was but the he was actually in that movie. So they even tried a different voice for C-3PO, but they decided to keep the original actor. Now, yeah. Zachary, you know some fun fact about well, that. Well, he the, again, just like we were talking about with Darth Vader, the original actor Anthony Daniels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> you know these things, right? You're the resident was, expert. He was responsible for deciding how he was going to act. He decided that he was going to be, you know, part gentleman, part butler, part, all of that. He, all of that was decided and came through the voice and the actions that he made in the suit. So he's very brassy, very um, sassy. He's one that I'm. I'm glad that they that they kept him. Uh, it is a little odd that half the people in Star Wars are British, though. <laughs> Yeah. They don't speak like that. Everybody in Britain speaks like that. <laughs> and we've just alienated like a bunch of people. We're very sorry about that. Not everybody's Cockney. I, I love the Cockney accent. Yes, apparently. That's not the way it goes, Ringo. Please, Sam, I have some more. <laughs> not many people even, unless you're, uh, you know, maybe by now you do, but a lot of people didn't even realize that C-3PO was a person the whole time in that yes. suit, just like R2 was a person inside R2-D2. It wasn't a, a robot at that point. There was like a skinny little dude running around in C-3PO's costume. So anyways, there were a lot of course corrections over the first two drafts, but on the third draft, the studio finally loved it. Now, in talking about post-production, let's remember that we did not have CGI back then. No. So his vision included being able to accomplish these sci-fi effects through practical means. So the sound effects were gathered with an analog tape recorder, and the soundtrack was not synthesizer. He hired uh, John Williams, who went on who to was do amazing. went on to do you know great things for film and the 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 spaceships were all they were all models right and they were shot against a blue screen or photo or painted background um, using perspective tricks to make them appear larger than life but even that also meant that they needed complete sound treatment because models don't Make Does noise. this finger make my tie fire look small? <laughs> <laughs> now, we also saw that those models would lend themselves to the toy market and that those toys would help kids share the story of Star Wars. Now, at the time, licensed toys were based on television shows and not film, and the concept of movie merchandising was virtually unknown. But just the same, this had been part of his strategic deal with the studio. He didn't ask for more money. He asked for more rights. Lucas had a plan. 
So Lucas saw it as a way to promote the movie. If and when the studio failed to do so. Yeah, he had a big mistrust for the studio system. He did. And so he planned to make posters, t-shirts, and toys to help promote the movie to his potential audience himself, not relying on the studio system. All the elements that the studio didn't consider valuable at the time, Lucas took control of, and that included the idea of making toys for the movie. Now, it it made sense, right? The, the movie's audience was young boys and their parents, and the toy audience would be young boys and their parents. So it was a perfect, underappreciated match. Lucas brought in a marketing director of his own, Charles Lippincott, who had contacts with the sci-fi fan base. They knew it was the brand's key target audience to build from. Now, Lippincott secured a deal with Marvel. You know Marvel now because you guys heard the, of Marvel? the Marvel Universe, right? So he made a deal with Marvel to make Star Wars comic books before the release of the movie. Again, very keenly targeted towards sci-fi fans. Mm -hmm. He also had a novel version of the screenplay published prior to the movie release. Again, keenly targeted towards this sci-fi market. And these two elements built an initial fan base uh, for the brand before the film was ever released. Lucas and company went to every toy manufacturer and they all passed. They did. All except one. Kenner Toys. So Kenner saw that Star Wars was toyetic. That's a term created toyetic. by uh, Benny Lewis of Kenner. That, I'm going to look now, up my Urban Dictionary now, on that one. What, what that means is that it had that special something, something that makes successful toys. Yes. Uh, and so because he said, pronounced Star Wars as being toyetic, they were all in. Now, we'll talk a lot more about the toys shortly when we get into uh, the story. Okay, so back to our timeline. The movie is ready, but no theaters wanted to book the film for the summer of 1977. Can you imagine going through that? You're getting yelled at because the movie isn't ready. And then it's ready. And then it's ready and nobody wants to book it. He literally almost had a heart attack trying to get this (laughs) on film. The company made and distributed a beautiful picture book to sell it through to theaters, but it wasn't having an impact. Yeah, that's B2B. Yeah, there was no media coverage to promote the movie because there hadn't been anything for the media to review. They were still editing right up until the end. Yeah. So 20th Century Fox took a risk and made it to where theaters couldn't book The Other Side of Midnight, an eagerly anticipated studio release based on a best-selling book. <laughs> Who cares? Unless they also <laughs> booked Star Wars. And theaters took the deal. Star Wars started to book in theaters. However, as May 25th, 1977 approached... They braced for the worst. Has anybody ever seen this, The Other Side of Midnight? That I never even heard of it. Yeah. I have no, I, no I idea. I didn't know this whole piece about yeah. Star Wars making them, or the 20th Century Fox making them. Are you them. learning new things from this podcast, Frank? I'm, it's blowing my mind. Is it? It is. Wow. Okay, but like I said, fellas, wrangle it yeah. in. May 25th was approaching, and they were expecting the worst, but the reactions were amazing. Yes. No one had ever seen anything like it. The special effects were so good, so real, it was revolutionary. It was the first major blockbuster in recorded history. Now that's saying something right there. If you think about it, it it was. It's the first of many things throughout history. It uh, it had an amazing response. Ticket lines wrapped all around the buildings. 
Um, fans started buying merchandise to brag that they had seen the film. It became cool. Don't worry, Frank. It's cool. Yeah, see? Merchandise became a handshake between fans. Now, to give you some perspective on its success, 20th Century Fox, their studio profit record up until then was $37 million a year. Yeah. Okay? So the studio, their record per year, $37 million, million a year. Now, the year that they released Star Wars, they reached $79 million More than double. Year. More than double. Wow. All because of, of Star Wars. The studio stock price doubled in three weeks. Wow. So as a business... That's good stuff. That's good news. Anytime you can you can double your, your business's value, that's good stuff. Why do you think that Star Wars was so successful? I mean, the movie itself, why did it make such an impact on you? I think it was like every kid's dream to kind of want to be like the hero, saving the day, you know, finding Luke, Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalkers, flying spaceships, like everything like imagination as a child that kind of put it all in perspective. Like, I want to be that guy. I want to be in the film. I am that guy. I mean, as a kid, like, Luke Skywalker was everything to me. Like that whole saga, it, it was just lightsabers, like blasters. Like that is the yeah. cool. That, I mean, that didn't sword, exist swords are cool. Swords are cool. These lightsabers are, lightsabers. are cooler. <laughs> right. It, it was. It was everything. Like every little boy, grown men wanted. You're still a little boy at heart, Frank. Wanted to have and wanted to do, and I think that's why the impact it left on on kids everywhere. It was like. Boys. It's like your imagination coming to life. Right, right. It, it's just everything that you hope and dream like you could do, like fantasy coming coming to life. Oh. Now let's get back to the toys. This is where the that part of the story kicks in. Kenner was signed on just months before the movie was released. So there was little for kids to buy, very limited merchandise when it was released. Now, uh, licensing for movies hadn't been successful in history, which you, you had mentioned. It was all TVs. Uh, TV-based. So Kenner didn't necessarily believe in Star Wars. They were looking to build space toys. They want to make space Space toys toys. anyway. So So they signed on, and when the movie was a smash, Kenner was caught off guard, and they couldn't produce toys fast enough for the Christmas of 1977. Mm -hmm. So they had to come up with a strategy. Ah, but before we get into Kenner's strategy... Let's give a little more background on them. Okay, on Kenner. Kenner was known for the Easy Bake Oven, the Spirograph, Stretch Armstrong. Do you remember these toys? Did oh, you have this? Yeah. I had all these, yeah. Frank yeah. has them all here today with us. In his, <laughs> they're in his car. He keeps them with him all the time. Several toys that we've all heard of and grown up with. They were also one of the first toy companies to use TV advertising nationally. Basic, yeah. mm-hmm. But even with those names, Kenner was considered a small manufacturer on the 11th floor of the Kroger building in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. All the big boys had passed on Star Wars. Now, they were small, but the toy industry was booming, right? Uh, Barbie, G.I. Joe were the number one toys probably of the day. Uh, And like we said, most toys were driven by television shows. Yeah, Kenner produced toys for the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Women series. Did you watch that show too? I did. Absolutely, me too. Now, TV shows were considered good for the toy industry because they released episodes on a weekly basis. And those shows helped promote toy sales. Movies weren't as good because a movie came to town once. That was it. Mm-hmm. So they were considered 
temporary. And it takes a long time to manufacture toys, about a year from design to retail. Now, G.I. Joe and Barbie were both bigger doll toys. They were like 12 inches. Yeah, they were. They were or so, yeah, yeah, they were, they yeah, were, they were big. Tall. Yeah. They were bigger than they are now, actually. Were they this big? They weren't quite as large <laughs> as your Vader. We actually have one around here somewhere that was about as big. But, but with Star Wars, Kenner knew they wanted to make the spaceships. So having the figures fit into smaller spaceships was paramount. So they made the figures based on a Fisher-Price figure set that had just come out. They were only three and three quarters of an inch tall. It made play much better and less bulky for the child. Yeah, can you imagine having a big old figure like this big and you had to put it in a Millennium Falcon? That would have been <laughs> the size of your home room. They did. Didn't they have a Millennium Falcon that was like... They did have a big one, yeah, yes. I, yeah. yeah, I don't know that it was big enough to fit a 12-inch G.I. Joe. I though, Frank but, got in it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, as a matter of fact, in the design phase, they took those same Fisher-Price toys and added modeling clay to develop the prototype for the toy presentation to the studio and Lucas. Now, because of the success of Star Wars toys, 3.75 inches tall is now standard size. One, two, three, for, and three quarters. For, uh, for all action figures moving forward. That's why this is the size that you always see. Yeah. So Kenner took their prototypes to get approved by Lucas and the studio. Lucas wasn't there in our timeline. He had gone back to Britain to make that movie, but the studio loved them. Yes. But they wouldn't sign over a check to Kenner. Not just yet. Instead, they started working together under a deal memo while the lawyers and the accountants negotiated contract points. Uh, bureaucracy. I mean, I don't even know what all that means. <laughs> Lucas gave them blueprints to the models used in the movies, and Kenner started working on, the, on producing the line. Yeah, so even though the lawyers were kind of all tied up doing law, lawyery stuff, yeah, Lucas was like, okay, great, you can get started. Handed them the actual blueprints to what he used in the movie, which... It's like gold to Kenner. I was going to say, right? like, that's a pretty, pretty cool thing <laughs> so, to see. Uh, in the deal, this deal that they were working under, 95% of the profits went to Kenner, 2.5% went to the studio, and 2.5% went to Lucas. This was a very lucrative deal for Kenner. So they really, really dug in. Remember, Lucas saw this as a promotional marketing strategy for the movie and not necessarily as a separate profit center but it was too close to the movie release date when they got their deal yes nothing was going to be in the marketplace in time so kenner had to make a strategy they began to think outside of the box yeah so part one of their strategy involved releasing anything that was picture-based so bot bags, those of you that don't know what a bot bag is, you, you your father blows it up and it stands by this doll and you push oh, it. Yeah. So all you had to do for that is put a picture on it. So that's what bot they're bags, called? yeah. Uh, puzzles, games, paint sets, all of that, very little manufacturing time. So those were the first things to come out. However, they are not, not the most fun toys to play with. Uh, the next thing was what's called label slapping. Label slapping is when they take a toy that they've already Resisted, made yeah. and they just make it Star Wars. Yep. So there was a... Star Wars Easy Bake Oven. There yes, you go. That's right. There was a Red Baron toy that became the Millennium Falcon gun cockpit you know, toy. Toothbrushes were all of a sudden made Star Wars. Headsets were made Star Wars. Uh, so there was a lot of that label slapping. Do you guys have any of these? 
I had. I did. I I, I remember I had like a, it was like a stand for your toys that they, they had it for like, well, like Buck Rogers yeah. back in the day, and they they I remember the, the the Star Wars label slapped on there, but they had the same thing for Buck Rogers and anything for Lost in Space. You're just having to have a sticker on it that says Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yep. yep. So part two of the strategy was much more creative. Okay, they released the now famous early bird certificate package, which was basically a way to pre-sell toys that didn't exist. They sold pieces of cardboard. They did. Yes. They released an empty they, they, box. They, they were thinking out of the box by yes. actually selling the box. <laughs> they, re- they released an empty box that had a display in it and a certificate that offered them, whoever bought it, the first four action figures produced. I had those too. As early as really? spring of 78. It included Leia, Chewbacca, R2-D2, and Luke. Those were the first the first Chris said he got one of those. I, I had those. Had I remember, I mean, I was, must have been two years old, yep. one years old, but having, I guess my dad purchased it at the time, but having those. I do too. I only to have those, to have those I now, know. you know? I know. Okay, so let me get this right. For those of you listening at home, Frank, you have young young kids as well. How how much do you think that it went over when your kid rips open a package and sees like a promissory note that says, yay, <laughs> I promise to give you a toy later. My you, kids would be so upset. And they would blame me. Why would you, Dad? Why yeah. would you? Like you messed with them somehow? Absolutely. Like it's like here, surprise! Here's an empty box. So it, you didn't, you wouldn't think it would work. No. It did though. I know it was genius. It worked. Yep. It worked. But they were so late that some toy designers could be seen at the movie with pad and paper to try to rush out the toy designs. They made some mistakes, like Snaggletooth was built to the wrong scale and wearing the wrong colors, a collector's dream. Yes, but Kenner sold 22 million figures a year when Star Wars came out. So sales jumped up 40%. I remember very clearly in my ch- in my childhood, uh, I was in early elementary, and all of the kids had these toys and because I remember bringing I was I was older than you mm-hmm. so I was in elementary school where you were still below Baby. elementary school right. but kids would bring these toys to school and they would uh, they would play with them now I also remember and um, whoever taught at Atkinson Elementary School in 1978-79 you took my Darth Vader oh, in no. class those of you you, if you know me from my childhood, <laughs> you you know who this person is. Brayden, you need to find a I picture of this man playing, and flash it on the screen. It was, it was a woman. I was a woman playing, and flash it on the screen. I was playing with my Darth Vader in class, which I know you're not supposed to do. But she took it. <gasps> and she put it in her drawer. And she said, you can have it back at the end of the year. She kept it for herself. And I went back at the end of the year. It was gone. It wasn't there anymore. because she gave it to her own kids. Gave it to her own kids. So it's probably worse. Ten thousand dollars. Tonight's a Christmas present. She stole. Okay. <laughs> After two years, they were still operating on the deal memo. When the studio finally got around to finalizing the deal, Kenner had the upper hand and negotiated intergalactic rights for life with one stipulation. The, that's let, let's just pause for a moment. Intergalactic. Inter- that's literally the the words that were used in the contract. The lawyer thought it was funny. So he. So, yeah, Lucas didn't think it was funny. No. But uh, anyway, go ahead. Intergalactic rights. So, for there life. was a stipulation. Yes, they negotiated intergalactic rights for life with one stipulation. They had to sell enough toys each year to pay Lucas a minimum of $10,000 in royalties mm-hmm. or just cut him a check. Yep. 
Now remember that. It will be key later in the story. Yes, more to come on that little tidbit. Yes. Now, why did the two? Why did those toys do so well um, when they had never done well before? Frank, what do you think? I don't know. I think it's just the success of the movie. It's like everyone wanted a part of that movie. Yeah. Everybody wanted to play with their own figures. Yeah. Well, like I said, there was there was a, a bragging rights when the movie first came out because it was difficult to get in because it, it was you know such a, a oh, blockbuster. Oh, you got a and, and I remember my friend had a Millennium Falcon as a kid, and I saw that ship, and I, I was so like, jealous and and, yeah. that he had that ship. I remember begging my parents, I want that ship so bad. I want that ship. I never had it. It was like, I think, $100 at the time, you know, in 1980. They were like, no. Big, big <laughs> but those toys, it's like you saw your friends had it. You had to have it. So and there was, was, it was a the competition rights. factor yep. for sure. Now, a sociology professor in Illinois, in Illinois, those uh, fancy folks out there in Illinois. He teaches a college class on Star Wars. He may be yes, a bigger geek than you. <laughs> but his his name is John Tenuto. Um, and he says that toys worked so well for the movie because, unlike sports, you can only imagine and play Star Wars. You can't actually go to a game. Whereas sports, you could actually go to a game and get that fulfilled. Right. With Star Wars, you, you can't. So people began collecting the toys to be part of that universe that they loved, and merchandise was the only way to do it. Right. And I grew up, actually, where right near where this guy teaches. He teaches at uh, uh, College of Lake County in Grays Lake, Illinois. Shout out! <laughs> All shy town and stuff. Shy town homies are the craziest. Absolutely. Um, now there was a lot of merchandise out there. A lot. There were Darth Vader uh, tooth sabers. Yes, that was that was um, toothpick a, dispenser. It was it was a toothpick yep. dispenser. There's lunch boxes. The member the, the metal. I boxes. had the lunch box. I did too. The metal, lunch, the metal lunch box. God, they what still I have them. What I wouldn't give to have that same one today. They actually probably still. Do I mean it won't be as cool and rusty as it was back then? But I'm sure they still have. They I had, have the original light. I had all my figures in the lunchbox before. Remember they had the Darth Vader case yes. that came out. So before the case, I had the lunchbox and I put them all in there. And then the case was out, and I was like, oh, you know, the, the whole Darth Vader case. <laughs> Your parents are like, oh great, now we gotta get that. And they just throw the lunchbox away. You're like, this is a dumb gift, mom. Well, they also had ships. Oh, the ships! Lots and lots of ships. We have ships. We have Pez dispensers. Yep. Bubblegum cards, games, shampoo. Uh, I remember um, Princess Leia. Princess Leia. Yeah, yeah there's a famous, famous thing she was saying. She was in an interview one time talking about how odd it was to see herself as like, I think somebody had asked her, how, how is it weird seeing yourself as an action figure or whatever? And she was like, yeah, you know, it's a little strange. She said, especially when you see your face all over all sorts of things. For example, her face, her body her is up. Yeah, it's like on a shampoo bottle where when, to get the shampoo out, you actually have to twist her head, like, twist <laughs> her head off, remove it, and then liquid comes out of it. And she was like, "Yeah," she was making comments about how it, it's just really strange to have toys where <laughs> your head actually comes off and things like that. That's what I remember about it. But, anyways, um, it was so lucrative that there was a counterfeit market. Yep, cheap toys, uh, imposters, companies like Uze, Uze. Mm -hmm. That made Star Wars, quote, toys. Stars Wars. Stars Wars? Stars Wars. Oh, Stars Wars. They were unlicensed and in Turkey, the country, Turkey. They made toys like Dart Vader, mm -hmm. Shea Baka, <laughs> Blue Star, 
It was a Hoth Stormtrooper. Stormtrooper? Yeah, it was a blue. So it was a blue Stormtrooper? Mm-hmm. Okay. Blue Star. Headman with shield and sword. Not relative to Star Wars but at all. They still sold him under the Star Wars. The, well, the Stars Wars. Stars in Star, maybe it is real in Star Wars. You don't know. You haven't seen Stars Wars. It's funny, though. This is such a huge collector's market to try to find uh, these is. toys now. Now yeah. to find the yeah. imposter toys? Absolutely. Yep. An Imperial officer at the controls of laser guns on the Death Star... But the packages featured a calculator as the control panel. Yeah, they went through all the trouble to, to make this Imperial guy. And then in the, the packaging for the material, it's literally a calculator that he's sitting in front of. Have you seen that yeah, one? I have. It's amazing, yes. <laughs> to this day, just like Frank said, these counterfeits are still around in the international market. And there's one, there is one called Starwart. 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 Yes. Um now there's also some some strange. I was really hoping that was a typo. Though there's also some strange compilations that are out there. Uh, in Sp- in Spain, they had a co-brand with Colgate and Bib Fortuna figure. Uh, so if you ordered this Colgate, you got this Bib Fortuna uh, figure with it. Now the the correlation is that. Bib Fortuna has the worst teeth in all of Star Wars. <laughs> so uh, we'll throw a picture up so you can see which character he was. But um, there was also in China, there was a wind-up Dalmatian Stormtrooper crawbaby. <laughs> that sounds what? incredible. Still, what wins the strangest, <laughs> most Frank just identified his must-have Christmas item. <laughs> thing ever. Oh, goodness. Uh, so the Star Wars Holiday Special... The greatest piece of film ever <laughs> created. Today. Are you sure? Are that you that sure? holiday special was, was so, bad. So, bad so bad that Lucas refused to let anybody see it. And then YouTube. Yeah, I was going to say, available on YouTube right now. Well, and so, as soon as you tell people they don't want it, that's when they want it. So the Star Wars holiday special, which, yes, really indeed it is bad. Uh, cartoons, uh, toy advertising. This is what all kept the brand alive in between movies. So it did help to promote the movies and keep Star Wars top, top of, of mind, mind for, for children. Now, Kenner even began making toys that they said were off camera. Oh, that's right. To expand the world of Star Wars. Now, as Lucas, I would have been like, you're doing what? You know? But he didn't mind because he thought it just gave more life to, no, he wanted people to, the, to keep story. Telling the story. He loved the story of Star Wars. So Space Toys had taken over space toys. that place where Cowboys and Indians once were. Mm-hmm. So Cowboys and Indians were number one in the marketplace at one point. And then uh, after soldiers. after the First World War, there was military toys. Now Star Wars and Space Toys had kind of taken over that space. But after movie three. Yes. Uh, George Lucas said that they are going to let the brand rest. So yes. Kenner needed to back off. Now, if you look at Lucas's timeline with the franchise, the first six movies, out of order as they may have been shot, uh, the movies made $7 billion. Okay, That's billion with a B. The toys made $14 billion. That's so that much. just gives you an idea as to the importance of the toys to the brand. Toys, very important. Frank, what toys and merchandise do you have in your collection? I know we talked a little bit about it. So, like, my prized stuff is is the original stuff. Um, Like the Ewok Village, Cloud City, the the Hoth, where they had, like, the the Frozen with the gun. Really? Um, Then they have the... uh, 
a lot, of, a lot of the newer stuff I've got too, like a lot of like the dark, the black collection. I have, I have all. Of are it. they in the boxes or are they out play, in play? So everything from '98 when Phantom Menace was coming out to now is in the box, except for the kids stuff my kids got too. Uh, I've got all that in the box. Pre the prequels, I played with. I don't have any of the stuff though that I had the duplicates with one in the box. Right. Yeah. The one in the box gone, but the one I played with I have. So I still have all of that. It's probably given to Goodwill because it was still in the box. It was given to Toys for Tots. It's probably sold to pay for your college or something. <laughs> so the real question is, Frank, do you have a Jar Jar? I hate Jar Jar. I know you do. <laughs> I, I do not own it. You know? Do you own a Jar Jar? I probably do because when Phantom Menace came out, I bought, I made sure I had every character that was in the box. So I probably have it. You begrudgingly don't, bought one? Don't know where he is. Don't really care where he is, but I'm sure I have it somewhere. I think the dog Lily probably has it. Maybe. So... Some some more perspective. Pizza. Some more perspective. Kenner made a hundred million dollars in profit the first twenty-eight years that they existed. Okay, between nineteen forty-seven and nineteen seventy-five, they made that same amount in three years because of Star Wars. That's insane. Seventy-five through seventy-eight. Star Wars. Star Wars was indeed <gasps> toyetic. toyetic. Now Kenner went on to make Strawberry Shortcake. Mm-hmm. Care Bears. Love Care Bears. I'm just going to throw that out there. I had those too. I liked Care Bears. Care Bears stare, Frank. Play-Doh. Yep. They acquired Play-Doh, I think. I'm just checking to make sure Frank doesn't spaz out about Play-Doh. I like Play-Doh. Yeah, Play-Doh. What about DC comic figures? Not a fan of DC that much, believe it or not. Hmm. Okay. All right. Whatever. They were well known for movie figures for uh, Ghostbusters, Mm -hmm. uh, Terminator, Jurassic Park, Alien, Waterworld, Small Soldiers, and so many more. Yeah, so kind of after Star Wars, people went, oh, oh we can mo- make movies after movies now. <laughs> movies can sell toys. Yeah. I and remember so, when the Ghostbusters thing was huge. That, that's basically my generation when yeah. Ghostbusters blew up. Yeah. Tonka bought, remember Tonka, Tonka toys? Trucks, Tonka right. trucks, yeah. They bought um, Kenner. Yes. And then Hasbro bought Tonka. So Kenner was kind of being supported by these. Uh, sponsor parent companies, right? Nice. Then eventually Hasbro closed them. Boo. So Kenner no longer exists. Um, Kenner had changed the face of action figures in the industry built on their work. Uh, now, later Hasbro would use their name because they still own the name, even though they closed down the company, uh, as a way of re-releasing vintage Star Wars figures. So now you can go and you can find buy the original the, stuff. The, the sand yeah. people and all of that, but they're they're re-releases, so they're not as. But they still have the Kenner name on them. I think is really cool. They, they do. do. They yeah. do. And I actually have a, I have a, one of the re- reproductions of the Darth Vader that I brought with me today. Oh really? But it's it's the original. Yes, but it has Kenner on the box. Yeah. This one. Not that. This one might not be 3.75 inches tall. Although, we have that guy, too. I have the big one like that. My sons have that. <laughs> yes, he's got a light bright on his chest. Um, let's take a minute to hear from Straight Shot's sponsor. Guys, Reformation Productions sponsors our podcast. We work for the agency. It's our day jobs. And we are superheroes at night. Okay, sorry. And we're thankful for them for being allowed to bring you the show. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the show as well, please reach out to us at straightshot.net. Out of the sponsorship. Straight Shot is brought to you by Reformation Productions, a full-service marketing agency in Atlanta, Georgia, helping companies promote and communicate their business in the most efficient and effective ways possible through straight-line marketing. Find out more by visiting reformationpro.com or call 
678-825-8086. Reformation Productions. Think in straight lines. All right, now back to Lucas's story. We jumped off our timeline a little bit. After the first film, he obviously had tons of support to make the next two pictures. Star Wars cleaned up at awards shows. Ironically, it did not win Best Picture. Can you believe that? I, yes, usually. Number one best-selling movie, it didn't win Best Picture. It's ahead of its time. But that always happens, though. It does. I, I'm not surprised yeah. at all by that. Um, but it earned more money than any movie in history, and George Lucas would be calling the shots moving forward. And that's how he saw his success. He said, you know, now I can make the next two films independently of the studio system. He didn't like the studio system, like we said. So uh, he didn't mind them distributing it, but he didn't want them to control the creative and tell him what he could and couldn't do. Right. So he financed the next picture without them. Yep. He went to a bank with the clout of Star Wars and borrowed the money. Right. Nobody does that anymore. He actually went to the bank for a, a business loan. He says, I don't need you. I can do it myself. <laughs> he received twice the investment budget as the first movie to mm -hmm. make Empire Strikes Back. Uh, now, he didn't want to direct the movie because he didn't want to end up in the hospital again. Remember right. all the stress that's involved with that responsibility. So he hired Irving... Kirshner. Is that yeah. how you say the guy's name? Lucas did write and produce the film, but he had Irving do the directing. Yeah, Lucas invested profits into Lucas Films and ILM and mm -hmm. moved to a new building, and they set out to top the first movie. They were motivated. He had a team, the process, the systems, the buzz, and the support. Things were much better than with the first movie. He started by shooting in the snow of Norway as opposed to the deserts of North Africa. I see an opposite thing going on here. Yes. I mean, he's just like, what can I do differently? How about <laughs> that, for starters? They had better compositing because technology continued to grow. They had respect from the crew and actors this go around. Uh, yeah, no, nobody was laughing yeah, at him they now. they were questioning it now. Yeah. Yes, but again, they went over budget. He had twice the amount schedule. of money. <laughs> and, and he had twice the amount of money. And over schedule. Now, this script had a twist. A twist? It had a twist. A twist. Uh, and it was kept secret by overdubbing lines in post-production. Mm -hmm. Don't the, spoil it for all the, the listeners. The, 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 <laughs> twist, the twist was never actually heard by any of the crew except for the one or guy the, yep. that Who did said, it in oh, the wow. studio So nobody afterwards. knew that... Blah, 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 twist. <laughs> so they, while they're doing, the, do, they're doing lines, they just... Did a different line. Everybody thought that was it. I can't remember. Do you remember what it was? No. Um, no. They, oh, yes. I remember what it was. It was that Obi-Wan Kenobi killed Your father. his father. That's right. That's right. That, that was the substitute line that, that they used. That was supposed to be the big, the big thing, for, the big reveal. Um, and then they changed it in the, in the studio afterwards to... I, am, I am your father. Spoiler. The, great, the yes. greatest line of all time. Daddy issues. What? And, and most of America remembers it wrong. Yes, that's just true. Which is yeah, yeah ironic. I, I am think. your father. Uh, but on May 21, 1980, Empire was released. And? and it surpassed expectations. Wow. So Lucas again reinvested his profits into his companies. He had Skywalker Ranch, uh, ILM, Industrial Light Magic, THX, remember sound. his movie? The sound. Right? Sound. That was his sound. sound. Uh, Lucasfilm. Yep. Which was his studio now? Lucas, Lucas Arts. Arts, which is video, video games. games. Yep. 
and Skywalker Sound, which I'm assuming is a studio. Yeah, how is that different than THX? I don't know. Yeah, THX is actually a sound system. Yeah, so like you never, in the the 80s and 90s, you hear the wah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he had built a world to create his movies separate from the big studios. That was his goal. Not only to make a movie, but to build a business. Jeez, I can't, it makes me think of the whole if you can't beat them, join them cliche, but it's like if you can't beat them, then just screw it, make your own. Make your own. <laughs> All was great until the Directors Guild got involved. Star Wars moved the film credits to after the film to maintain the dramatic opening shot of the movie. But the guilds had allowed it. The guilds, yes, okay. now, now let, let's think about that for a minute. If you remember, um, particularly in the first film, because that's where it was most impactful, you had that opening shot right so you had you had the the title sequence right and then you had that huge larger than life star destroyer star destroyer yeah, coming, coming into the shot if he had put the credits in the beginning like most do it would have ruined that entire setup so he was absolutely right except for the fact that they let him do it the first time they didn't want him to do it the second time yeah they didn't really like it but with empire they find him for doing it and they yes. tried to get the picture pulled from the theater. They did. Uh, then they went after his director. Yep. Um, Lucas paid all the fines, including for the director, but he was very angry. He was extremely angry. If you remember, uh, he had problems with the, the studio uh, Hollywood types in Britain. He had, And now the Directors Guild and the Actors Guild are trying to find him for something that he's already done that's already successful. He was pissed. Yeah. He's an angry little Ewok. He has done <laughs> so much for the industry, and they're just coming after him. Money, 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 wanting more money. Like they don't trust um, him. They don't have faith in him. That's so what, what he did was he pulled out of the Directors Guild, pulled out of the Writers Guild. Did he make stopped, a new guild? <laughs> he, no, but he, he pulled out of the Motion Picture Association. He, he, everything that was industry-related, he stopped. Yeah. Um, so here's a man that has redefined the industry. They came after him for more money, and he found it, and I agree, very disrespectful. Again, this guy keeps getting it from all sides. Yes. Now, Alan Ladd Jr., the studio chief at Fox, quit because the board at the studios questioned him about the deal he had made for the studio with Lucas. Greed was all around the franchise. It's like when someone wins a lottery and the world around him just turns completely evil. It, it, it's true. That happens. You have family members you never heard of come out and ask you. Everybody starts treating you a certain way. Yeah. How many cousins Daryl do you have? I know, right? So uh, at this point, Lucas took his next picture Raiders of the Lost Ark Super to Paramount awesome. for distribution. Yeah. So you you know you want to play that game? Fine. You don't get the next one. Okay. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Lucas, but, but okay. So the third Star Wars picture was under contract to Fox. Right. So he couldn't pull that one. But again, he financed the next Star Wars picture, Revenge of the Jedi, himself. He did. But people still had their hands out for anything Star Wars related. When going through location scouting and pre-production, they called it. Blue Harvest, so people wouldn't bump up the fees on them. Well, that worked just fine until they saw Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford all together on one set. That's kind of a giveaway. Yep. So the movie was renamed Return of the Jedi and released May 25th, 1983. Yes. Like I said before, a little earlier, 
it was called Revenge of the Jedi first. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that sounded, that was a cool name. And then they changed. We didn't have social media back then, but I remember there being Your a buzz. Your opinion did not count. I remember that. there being a buzz and people hating the fact that they he had changed the name. But they had everything branded too, Revenge of the Jedi too, like they posters did. I mean, and all yeah, that stuff. Absolutely. Do you have anything with Revenge of the Jedi? I on did it? back in the day, not anymore. Which makes Man. it that much more collective because he changed the name right at the end. Yep. We're wow. literally like right before he hit theaters. Yep. He, it was so switched. really, for Frank's mom and dad who are listening right now. <laughs> These are all of his childhood memories that he's talking about that have gone up in smoke. We don't know where they are. Your dad is sitting on He's hoarding them all for He has them all in storage somewhere. He does. No, he probably has it in some garage somewhere he forgot about. He's like, oh, this giant green tub that says Frank on the side of it. What is all of this? <laughs> dad, that's like $100,000 in merchandise. So anyway, after the movie, after this movie, the script he had written years before had finally been completed. Yes. That's when he decided to, to rest the Star Wars brand. He had taken little to no breaks. He had also gotten divorced and was a single father. So Star Wars was over. But he had innovated the industry and continued to do so through his businesses. He did. Uh, Lucas created CGI, which is computer-generated imaging. Um, he created the Pixar animation computer mm -hmm. uh, for the technology in filmmaking aspects. And once that was made, once the team finished making it, the team was really excited. Let's make a movie with it, right? Because they finally made this tool. Well, Lucas wasn't interested in making a movie. He's like, and I'm so, good. so he <laughs> sold it, and that's where Pixar Studios came from. Enter Steve um, Jobs. Steve Jobs picked that up. And yeah. the circle of life continues. <laughs> um, he also continued working with Steven Spielberg uh, through ILM. Uh, they were friends. Um, and so he worked with him uh, on Jurassic Park and was able to make a realistic CGI for Spielberg's picture in uh, in Jurassic Park. Now, that was a really big deal when that came out, too, because it was the first time that you didn't have to use claymation and it actually looked real. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, he fully, made it. Fully generated. He, he made, I mean, C, with what he did with CGI is just uh, amazing. Now, this year, ILM worked on uh, The Irishman, which is a Scorsese film. Uh, the Netflix on, on movie. Netflix, right. yep. Um, and he brought uh, innovation to it with CGI makeup and aging variations for the yeah, actors, the have you agent? have you seen it yet? I have not seen it. Yeah, yeah. They they he actually he can make them uh, any age he wants to. Yeah, yeah isn't it? Isn't there like that's a, term a big thing for now it? though? Is is the aging? And it's like called reverse and... aging or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, uh, Zachary and I actually caught the Irishman recently. And very good movie, by the way. You know that Martin Scorsese really knows what he's doing. You know, <laughs> he's really got a, got his finger on the, the pulse of gangsters. But anyways, um, there is some amazing, uh, very subtle but amazing special effects done in the aging variations of the actors. And it was very surprising because we caught the Irishman because we were fans of Martin Scorsese and all that. And then having seen the direct connection with what we're working on in this podcast, it was really cool to see that they were even using revolutionary cutting edge um, technologies in the Irishman. So it's still evolving. Yeah. Yeah. He's still going, still going after it. Still, cha still changing the industry. Yeah. Because as some of you might remember, in order to have CGI and Frank, you're better at the terminology uh, than I am with this, but you had the little balls on your face. And so you'd have to act alongside somebody who was standing there and like for the motion capture, motion capture, the little, you know, and those for the lay people at home that have no idea what we're talking about, those little balls that they stick all over the place that tells the computer where to focus in on it and, and where to pin certain things. You that, know, what's crazy though, is like 
from a, from the Star Wars fans' perspective too, is like George Lucas, in, you know, created this industry, innovation, all this great stuff. But now the backlash, where right. everyone in the new Star Wars fans wants to go back to puppets and they want to go back to the practical effects. It's like it's come full circle where he's created this great thing, but the backlash. That's because there's so, gonna, there's always going to be a, a need for vintage for people just like. It's like people have they they, they grasp onto what they know, right. and even though the CGI is fantastic. They want the puppet. They want the the Yoda ear, the puppet moving like it. Yeah. You, you can't mimic that in, no. in CGI, and that, and that's what the fans want. Yeah. Man, you're making me think of the puppet ear. Now it's all I'm thinking about. But yeah, the thing in the Irishman is uh, now the CGI has evolved to where you don't even have to have the little motion capture beads on the face anymore. Yeah, we just did. You just did. I did. Um, for the, the and I'm not going to spoil it, but we just did a. It's coming up. In your, if you are a fan of the show and you have signed up for our newsletter, um, or you, you're on our social you will media. get a copy of um, some a video that Jennifer just finished using the same uh, technology. Motion, motion capture. Yeah. So, um, uh, again, if, if you want to receive this. You, I am not George Lucas. Seriously, you have you have less than, than a week before this goes out. But uh Dial 90210. Send the word Reformation to 90210. People don't know what dialing is, sweetheart. Two, yeah. So text the word Reformation to 90210 to sign up for uh, the newsletter, or you can go on to straightshot.net and, and sign up there, and then you'll get a copy of the newsletter. We'll probably also put it on our um, uh, put it on our social media. It'll definitely be on the Patreon page. So Back to our timeline. Yes. We keep veering from the timeline. Seeing how far the technology had come by the late 90s, Lucas decided to remaster or recreate the Star Wars trilogy using yes. his newer technologies. And these were fuller versions to complete his original vision. Horrible. Sorry. You know, you don't like him? <laughs> no. I'm like, what is that noise? <laughs> so, no. so you can see this thread uh, throughout his career. Innovation in how movies uh, were made was always at the top of his list, following closely with his love for Star Wars. Now, he has continually remade and remastered. The first time I thought was okay. I thought it was okay. Frank the disagrees. first remaster was. Um, well, the remastering the fact was okay. That, but the fact that he kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. But it's almost like he's Like kind now of... we have Hayden Christensen in, you know, on, on Endor. I can't take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this stuff gives me heartburn. Like I, I remember, I was in college. It was '90s when they did the re-releases, and you know they released Star Wars: Empire and Jedi with all these new CGI scenes, and I'm like, what? What are they doing? Like it's I, I get like polished. cleaning up. Well, I get some of the stuff because the technology wasn't there, like cleaning right. up underneath the hover ships and stuff like that. Clean that up. That's fine. But don't start adding these like in Jedi when they add that whole musical number in the, the Jabba the palace. Are they doing like no? Like it's like he's always trying. Stop to Stop messing with my past. Hey, don't touch my childhood. He's like he's trying to keep on perfecting, and I get right. it. I mean, he's an artist. He wants. But there's to a reason it, why right. you know even Da Vinci or Pablo Picasso, you step back from the painting. You don't keep messing with it. Yeah. No, but he started tweaking it, and I'm like, you know, it was exciting to catch it in the theater again. But then you're seeing all this new stuff, and you're like, it's like parts of me are dying. I'm like, don't add that. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> yeah, do that. I can see that making it too polished. It's too much, too and then almost. Kidifying, if that's a word. Oh yeah, the films too. Um, yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Bringing it, making it more colorful, making it more cartoony. 
But whether you liked it or not, it was very successful. Of course. Well, anything Star Wars, they can release it 9,000 times, and it will sell 9,000 times. It doesn't matter. Mm, it will. And after the success of the trilogy's re-release, he was feeling the Star Wars love, and now that technology had caught up, he decided to make the next three prequel Star Wars movies. Yes. He did it for the love of Star Wars, for the fans of the story, because he now thought it was possible to go back and tell how Star Wars started. I think he wanted to see how the new technology that he made yeah. could be used within because Star Wars. Because people like Frank were screaming at George um, Lucas to stop touching I, I his think, childhood. I think that's what drove these movies more than more than anything. I, I agree with that too. But uh, but also it was more it was more of a showcase mm-hmm. of like what he's able to do. Now right. I, I hate the prequels. I like. I, I the am last not one. a fan. Either. I was not just going to ask you how you like the first three movies or the next. You know three I, I don't like them, but from a from a technology perspective and what they were able to do industries wise. It's fantastic, and nothing again. It's taking it to a level where nothing's been done like this. But no, it's not Star Wars. Because it had the magic. I like you. I was not a fan. Not a fan of the first three movies, Mm-mm. but they were Star Wars, right? And that alone was good, right? You right. will hate it at the so, theater every time you go, which is so, twelve times. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't like the movies, and I saw them fifteen times each. I mean, I'm not gonna. I went to the theater for like two weeks straight. I, I kept. Am I gonna like it more? Is it something I didn't catch? And I kept You're on hoping finding it would more grow things. on you. It didn't, but again, it, it it was the Star Wars connection where I'm hooked and I'm gonna see it 50 times. You you want you want to go with us when we go see the the new one? So I actually have my tickets for the Saturday. You already show, have tickets, but I will go again if you if you guys go. I will. Sure. Go. Of course you will Matter go fact, again. Anybody that wants to join us, you can can uh, go to our Facebook page, and we can start a, a comment. I have to look at Jennifer because she'll manage it. If you want to meet us there, we'll tell you where we're at. Uh, and we can all but go watch it. Count as me a, in. That would be buy your own popcorn, a, though, people. Yeah. Yeah. As a, a straight shot family. So uh, back to our story. By the time that uh, these three movies were done, uh, all of the Star Wars fans had gone from boys to men, and these men were collectors. They had children, and they wanted to share Star Wars with. Their children. I passed it on to my son, a little older than yours. With, and I did it with my kids. And I have taken him to, because he became enamored with it. And he, he, he got all the, the toys, he got all the books. And I have taken him to every movie that has come out uh, since he's been alive. Our son, Jack, he is enamored with Star Wars Absolutely. as it's well. Absolutely, it's in his DNA. So uh, I've got two of them. Caitlin, my girl, could care less. Right. Jennifer could care less. <laughs> but the I like boys... We go to Star Wars. Right, I'm with you. Kenner had been caught off guard with the release of the first Star Wars. They weren't going to make that mistake again. No, no, no. And speaking of Kenner, as we mentioned, it had been purchased by Hasbro. So there were all new people calling the shots. And you remember we mentioned that they had the rights to do Star Wars for life. As long as they met one stipulation. $10,000 per year. Well, Hasbro let it slip. And Lucas started a bidding war when he announced the new movies. Now, Hasbro, knowing the brand power of Star Wars, let them know, let Lucas know, that they would do whatever it took to keep the business. Mm-hmm. And he knows where his bread's buttered. With that, the new agreement was negotiated much more towards Lucas's favor this time. He now saw... The toys as more than just marketing. They were their own profit center. Uh, it was the most expensive toy licensing deal in history. 
Lucas gets an 18% base royalty rate. Now, you have to remember. He had two before. Luke, he had two and a half. Oh, you have to remember, he's not doing anything right. <laughs> as just, far as making the toys. He's taking from the top. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's his ideas. So, it's his, it's his I'm, I'm not saying imagination. He doesn't, I'm, not, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. Right. I'm saying he's not manufacturing anything. That's an easy um, way to wake up on a Saturday. All of this is based on the success of the brand that he built. That he fought for. Like He dug his feet in and he made sure that his vision came true. Yes. So. With the anticipation of the start of Star Wars toy season before the fourth movie was released, Hasbro set up release toy dates at Toys R Us with special hours in anticipation for the rush. People were lined up around the corner. There was a lot of media hype, a special Star Wars area in most retailers, and no shortage of inventory. I was camped out for all those things. Were you? I was. Were you at Toys R Us? I was. Oh, wow. You you have to remember, Star Wars, after... uh, Return of the Jedi was over. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea of, oh, I'm going to make it, now, the whole world was a buzz. Yeah, this yeah was nobody huge. thought this yeah, was coming, this right? Was huge, yeah. Wow. And so what was your experience? Do you remember? Your I experience? do. I remember camping out two days before with me and my friend Steve going way back in the day. What did you Toys sleep R Us. on? I don't, that I don't remember. I remember just sitting on the curb against the wall of Toys R Us waiting for that. And we did it to multiple stores too because each store, like Target did like a special thing and Toys R Us had a special thing and they all had like unique licensing Sure. Special packaging. And I remember hitting so all the So it was stores. different everywhere you went. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, then on May 16th, 1999, The Phantom Menace was released. Mm-hmm. Fans dressed up to go see it, and the brand was alive once again. Did you dress up to go see it? I had a lightsaber. I didn't dress up, but I had a lightsaber. Um, <laughs> you look like you're embarrassed to admit that. You're like, oh, I did. Have I, you, have I you remember- dressed up for any of them? I have not. My, I have had my really? kids, Stone, I believe, dressed up, and then we dressed up for Star Wars Celebration. Okay. But That's not, surprising to me that you've never fully dressed up for anything. Not even like a Comic-Con or like whatever? No, I didn't. It, we were going to do it again for Star Wars Celebration, but then the, we had the kids do it. We had the, the full K, I don't remember the, the droid's name, but they were all dressed up for the Celebration stuff. Man, nice. I would at least expect to see you in like some Leia buns or something. So um, <laughs> everybody's dressed up. They go in to see the movie. The brand is alive once again. There's passion in the air. Yes. However, but episode well, one was not was as popular. People didn't like the movie as much because there's nothing to fill a child's fantasy like politics and economics. <laughs> so uh, at this point, Hasbro had way too many toys in the marketplace. There were too many on the shelves, not enough rare finds. They were overcompensating for 1977. But still, the initial excitement that Frankie here just described was enough to make it a huge success. Again, led by the brand and the whole idea of that resurfacing again. Now, the Kenner division of Hasbro was closed in between movies by Hasbro. Yes. However, they later released vintage toys with the Kenner name on them, even though they were gone. Frankie was just explaining that he has one. He has a Darth Vader. Darth one Vader? Of the, the re-releases. He has a Darth Vader re-release with the Kenner name on it. And after the release of the three prequel movies, Lucas again announced that he was done with Star Wars. It's kind of like Kiss, where they, we're going to go <laughs> on tour, tour one more time. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can do Motley Crue. We're just... <laughs> One more time. There's been some uh, sports athletes as well that have kind of made this claim that they're done with things. But a cartoon series again followed, and toys from the cartoon were very, very popular. Then, 
In 2012, Lucas sold the Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Lucas Films to Disney for $4.05 billion. Yes. Half in cash and half in Disney stock. Now, if you think about that, he owns a big chunk of Disney now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, poor George. I know. <laughs> poor George. He's got to kick his feet up now and just wake up on a Sunday and cash those checks. Yep. So, Zachary, what's the straight shot today? What are the lessons that we can learn from George Lucas and his, um, his life as a businessman? Well, there are several. Um, let's let's throw them up on the screen as we talk about them. Let's do it. Um, consumer research. Yeah. Consumer research is how you make intelligent decisions. The studio marketing team advised the studios to look for younger film directors to make movies for their demographic. And so they did. George researched what his target audience thought would be a compelling story, and then he followed through. So kind of like that doing your homework through consumer research, number one. Number two, study the experts of your craft. In addition to research, George studied how others, experts, made compelling stories. I study what companies have done before me. That's how wisdom is gained. Straight Shot is about sharing what others have done or are doing in the marketing industry so that you, our listening, watching audience, can uh, can benefit from that. He believed in the same thing. Number three, recognize the importances. Know your limits and hire Higher expertise. expertise. George knew that a big-budget pitch was necessary to make his film because he had a vision, right? So he hired Ralph McQuarrie to help him communicate his story to the studios and to bring that vision into visual reality. Ralph designed the look of Star Wars jointly with Lucas. So let me tell you just for a minute about what, how important his part was. Lucas had the story. Lucas did not draw. Lucas did not paint. Lucas told this story to Ralph, who then decided what it would look like. And everybody thereafter followed the direction that the two of them had had set up. Like walking around inside George's brain and trying to make it three-dimensional. And and figuring out what was going to work from what George was was describing. So um, that's one. George also knew that marketing was very important to ensure his success. So he hired his own marketing director to work for him instead of trusting the studio. There was already a marketing person at the studio, but he, he wanted his own. He wanted his own. But he also didn't try to make his own toys or merchandise. He contracted with experts to do that. Know your limits. For him. Um he also hired a director for his remaining movies. He remembered the physical limitations and the stress. He still worked on them, but the responsibility, the stress, fell to uh, to someone else that he had trusted. Raiders of the of the Lost Ark still a great movie, but he let Stephen kind of shoulder. Yeah, a that's lot a little that. bit of self care happening there. Uh, another part of knowing your limits is par- uh, partitioning out your ambitions. 
three movies, not one watered down film. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll have this big story and they'll water it down to try to make one and it loses its magic. Yeah, Peter Jackson he was kept, just like that. He kept his, his vision for what he wanted. He just cut it into to three different parts and made a saga out of it, right? Um, next, gain allies and others that believe in you and, and have passion for what you are doing. Alan Ladd Jr., Alec Guinness, those that helped start ILM. He also fired editors that didn't believe in his vision. So keep those people that believe in you. They're, they are, are good for your soul. Naysayers, get rid of them. Bye, Felicia. Absolutely. Next. Yes. Again, lots of, lots of these from, from his. still three or are we on four? No, I don't know what number we're on. Is this A or B? I'm lost. <laughs> so the next thing is to believe in yourself. Have passion. Have drive. Stick to Don't give up. Yes. It's not too late. Lucas had to innovate and push through depression and naysayers. And a heart attack almost. He had, right. he had the drive to continually move past these setbacks. Setback after setback after setback from like, like huge things. Uh, yeah, like grand the, scale. the guild. <laughs> you know, the director's mm-hmm. guild. Um, Managing a lot of people's expectations. All right. Um, true entrepreneurs are special people, and they should be celebrated. It takes a lot to see your vision through. Hiring the right people, firing the wrong people, uh, managing the process, keeping your vision. Uh, there's a, a, an awful lot to being a business owner. Absolutely. I mean, just the doubts that you might have on a regular basis of whether or not what you're doing is the right thing or if, you know, the time that you're taking away from your family is it worth what you're working on right now and in most cases the answer is yes keep at it george firmly believed in his vision his story you know his project and he gave more than 100 percent of himself to make this happen and he he actually absolutely sacrificed a lot of his time to do so well as a business owner you have to mm-hmm. because if you don't do it nobody's gonna do it nope so uh, if, if you don't have the drive to move forward and be successful, you won't be successful. Um, all right, next one. Don't be afraid to go outside of the box. Innovate. If something doesn't exist, don't be afraid to make it. Don't be afraid to be the first person to do something. Oftentimes, greatness comes from taking those risks. Make sure you get a patent. True. Protect yourself in the process. <laughs> but also, you know, fail and fail fast. That's Absolutely. kind of right. what innovation is. Right. You know? Keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. Uh, next, see the big picture. This is a gift that I've learned that not everybody has. But Lucas knew his grand vision and what it would take to make it happen. Story vision, movie vision, business vision. He, he had it all laid out of, of what it is that he wanted to do and how he was going to go about doing it. He also understood the initial audience and how it would build the Star Wars brand and recreate the genre. Mm -hmm. Next. Next. Strategic thinking. Strategy is another specialized mindset that often goes hand in hand with being big picture. Patton was a strategist. Steve Jobs was a strategist. Not everyone has the skill set. Lucas's hired marketing experts did. Kenner did. So strategy was a, a, a big piece of, of the success of the, um, 
the brand. So the next piece is content over finances. Um, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Again, um, Lucas was true to his vision and doing it the right way and not having shortcuts. He wasn't as concerned with money. Lucas was more protective of his rights than his profits from the studio. He was willing to negotiate money away a lot quicker than his rights to keep creative control and control of his vision. So that was very, very, very important to him. The last thing, presentation matters. He had to present his idea to the studio. He had to present his idea to the bank. Then he had to present his idea to you in the film. Presentation, how you present yourself matters. And he showed that several times through his life. George Lucas, a creative, a visionary, and a businessman. I hope you guys enjoyed our exploration of Mr. Lucas as a businessman today and were able to pull some value from his story that can relate to your business. If you do find value, please consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash straight shot so we can continue to bring you these shows. Thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you to our guest Frankie for coming out to play with us. Thank, Thank you. you. And have a super galactic interstellar. No, what is it? intergalactic? No, it's may the force be with you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Have a wonderful season. Happy New Year. May the force be with you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast informative, we hope you'll pass along our web address, straightshot.net, to your friends, colleagues, and business associates. And please leave us a positive review on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash straightshot. If you would like to have your question featured on the show or would like to be a guest, call 678-825-8086, extension 300. Or you can email us at info at straightshot.net. Be sure to download the Straight Shot Podcast app on your smartphone to hear previous and new shows. This has been Straight Shot.